If you would, take your Bibles. If you need a Bible, there's uh, one in the pew in front of you. And uh, if you want to turn in the Old Testament, uh, we just began our study. And this is great timing if you're here with us today because we've just begun our new study in the book of Judges. So if you would, turn to, to Judges. Um, be right after Joshua, Judges. Uh, we gave last week a lot of background information on the book of Judges. And this, uh, to kind of recap, is uh, the Israelites, they, they've gone out, the mass exodus out of Egypt. They have uh, had their uh, wilderness wanderings. And finally, they crossed the Jordan into the promised land. And that's where Joshua ends, and this is where Judges picks up. And what we will find throughout the book of Judges is a lot of ups and downs. And isn't that kind of like life? Your life uh, is full of ups and downs. Um, You know, when you come to trust Christ as your Lord and your Savior, uh, it doesn't mean a bed of roses. It doesn't mean everything's going to always be great. And though this is an Old Testament book that deals primarily with the people of Israel, uh, there's a lot of spiritual application that we can apply today in our lives as God's people. And I want to look at some of these things this morning. Look in uh, the book of Judges and let's begin our reading in chapter 1, verse 1. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel... Ask the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I've delivered the land into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Ouch. And Adoni Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table. As I've done, so God has repaid me. Then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. Now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And afterward the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites, who dwelt in the mountains in the south, And in the lowland, then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kerjath Arba, and they killed Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai. From there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kerjath Sefer. Then Caleb said, Whoever attacks Kerjath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give my daughter, Aksah, as wife. And Athenel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So he gave him his daughter, 
Aksah as wife. Now it happened when she came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? So she said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now the children of Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. And Judah went with his brother Simeon, and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was Hormah. Also, Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. So the Lord was with Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers. But they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had said. Then he expelled from there the three sons of Anak, But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem till this day. And the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. So the house of Joseph sent men to spy out Bethel. The name of the city was formerly Luz. And when the spies saw a man coming out of the city, they said to him, Please, show us the entrance to the city, and we will show you mercy. So he showed them the entrance to the city. And they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, built a city and called its name Luz, which is its name to this day. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Ibelim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, so the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Nor did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron or the inhabitants of Nahalal, so the Canaanites dwelt among them and were put under tribute. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Elab, Akzib, Helbah, Afik, or Rehob. So the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Nor did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but they dwell among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains, for they would not allow them to come down to the valley. And the Amorites were determined to dwell in Mount Hares and Ijon and Shalbim. Yet when the strength of the house of Joseph became greater, they were put under tribute. Now the boundary of the Amorites was from the ascent of Akrabim from Selah and upward. Chapter 2. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bacham and said... I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you make 
no covenant, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you've not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. So it was, when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called the name of that place Bacham, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. Father, I pray this morning that you would just allow me to be a clean vessel. Lord, I ask that you would remove me, but that you would speak your truth from your word to the hearts of the listeners today. Pray that you would challenge us from your word, Lord, that you would help us to hear your voice as to what you would have us to do in response to the preaching and teaching of your truth. We give you the praise and the glory because of who you are. And we thank you in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Whoo! Mouthful of that whole text there, huh? It's a lot of names. A lot of territory to cover. Well, I want to try and break this down. And you know how we like to do things here, at least the way I like to do things, is to go verse by verse, line by line. And I want to try and make sense of this. Because I realize there's a lot of different folks. You're thinking, who, what, huh, huh? Jebusites, parasites, Hittites, termites. What, are, what is all this? So we're going to take a look, and I think as we begin to unfold this text, it'll become a clearer picture to you. You know, when I read this, I thought, okay, I told my wife this morning, I said, you know what, I got a good title for this this sermon. I I thought about calling it Heads Down, Thumbs Up. (laughs) But she said, please don't do that, you know, because the guy got his thumbs cut off. But anyway, no, she said, please don't do that. So so I, I, I told her I wouldn't do that, but instead I got a better sermon title, and it's very fitting. Today's title is The Agony of Defeat. I told you the jokes got worse. I <laughs> did I not? <laughs> but, but really, you think about it. Agony of Defeat. Because this is what this text is really going to talk about. God's people are defeated. You say, wait a minute, I don't see that they were really defeated. Oh, yes, they were. God said they didn't obey His voice. You see, God had made some promises, and instead of camping out on the promises, each man did that which was right in his own eyes. You know, we talked about this in our introduction last week. I talked about how, isn't that like our society today? People are doing what's right in their own sight. But where's truth? You know, just because you feel something is right, does it make it right? We have to anchor truth to something. And of course, 
the Word of God has to be that anchor. You see, the people that went into the land, when they crossed the Jordan River, they were given promises. This was the promised land. God had told them, go in there and utterly destroy and drive out everyone. Destroy them. But they didn't obey that. And I think what happens sometimes is we waver and we doubt what God has told us because somehow that doesn't make sense. I mean, think about it. God, you want me to go and and destroy little kids, babies and mommies? That sounds horrible. You know, because to, to wipe out all the people, that meant babies, elderly people. Seems kind of cruel. I don't know if I can do that, God. Don't think you wouldn't have those thoughts. Of course you'd have those thoughts. But you see, what happens sometimes is this. We begin to try and reason from our own understanding as to why this is wrong. But what we don't see is the full picture. We don't know how God has worked in their midst for century after century, trying to woo them and win them, but they rejected. We don't know how many times they've thumbed their nose at God. And because God is a just God, there has to be a day of punishment. You follow the same principles. Don't think you don't. If someone uh, brutally murdered one of your children, you would want justice. Right? Would you want the murderer to go 10 years without any punishment? Maybe you want him to go 20 years without any punishment. 50 years without a single bit of retribution. You see, we don't see the full picture. I don't know how long God had been long-suffering to the people of that land. I don't know how long God had been trying to woo them and win them or, or what's going on at all. But I know this, about God, according to His truth, He's just. He's holy. He's merciful. He's long-suffering, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He says in the Old Testament, He does not delight in the death of the wicked. I know this about God because God has revealed this about Himself. So I can rest assured in confidence God who knows all things and sees all things, that if it's come time for these people to be annihilated, it's not up to me, if I'm an Israelite, to try and understand exactly why. It's okay to think to ask that, but ultimately my response as a follower is obedience. Now, we're not under the Old Testament of law. We're under the new covenant of grace. And I'm thankful, because, uh, and I think you are too, that we're under the new covenant of grace. But there's still things in the New Testament that God has called you to obey. There are things as God's people that we should be obedient to. The question is, Are you hardening your heart to the things God is calling us to? 
Will we be like the people of the Old Testament? Will we be like the Israelites where we begin to not stand on the promises of God, but begin to compromise and eventually concede to the enemy? If you're doing a three-point outline here, you want to write notes, you can write this down. Verses 1 through 5, we see the success. In verses 6 through 34, you see God's people settling. And in in verses that follow, verse 34 through 2, 5, you see surrender. You see, that's what happens, I think, too oftentimes in our Christian life. We have conquest. We have victory. We have success. God has said. There is therefore no condemnation to those of you in Christ Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ this morning as your Lord, as your Savior, He has paid your penalty. That's what the cross was all about. The cruel cross at Calvary. We deserve wrath. We deserve God's wrath. If God gave mankind what He deserves, think about it. We're the created. He's the creator. And we spit on Him. We rejected Him. He came into this world in the person of Jesus Christ, did nothing but love people, heal people. And He proclaimed the truth. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And how did mankind, His creation, respond to that message? They crucified Him. They beat Him. They stripped Him of His clothes and hung Him on a cross and mocked Him and laughed at Him. This is the same God who spoke and the universe leaps into existence. Almighty, all-powerful God. He could have spoke and decimated everything, and would have been right in doing it. But you see, if you don't see the love of God in the cross at Calvary, then you don't know love. No greater love has a man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. God loves you. And that is a message of the cross. Too often we miss that message. Because we rely on our own reasoning, our own understanding, instead of hearing the voice of God and humbling ourselves in obedience. Notice in these first verses the success. When Joshua was alive and he led the people across the Jordan and they set up camp, They made it. This is it. But the mission was not quite complete. There was still work to be done. Joshua dies. Notice, this is where we pick up. Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass. By the way, let me pause for a second. Some of you that's already started reading through Judges, you've already gotten a puzzled look. You're thinking, wait a minute. Here it says after Joshua died, but then later Joshua's alive. Is he dead or is he alive? What's going on here? Anybody, you know, you, you see the movies where the movie starts and there's this character and they're like dead. And then later it's like a flashback. 
and they're showing the story and, and they're alive in that part of it. That's all that's going on here in this text. You're going to have flashbacks. There's going to be moments of where you'll see portions of Scripture that, that are actually quotes oftentimes from the book of Joshua. And they're there uh, implanted into the book of Judges. These are just flashbacks, again, to help uh, give you a better understanding of the story. Just like when you watch a movie, you get a better understanding of the story when you see these, these flashbacks. So, here we have Joshua. Now, after Joshua's dead, children of Israel ask the Lord, saying, Who shall be the first to go up against the Canaanites to fight against them? Think about it. Their leader's gone. Joshua's not there. The people were doing what was right here. What did they do? They asked God. Folks, can I encourage you right where you're at? The right thing to do, no matter what circumstances you're facing, if you're searching for truth, if you're not understanding some things, start here. Ask God. Ask the Lord. If you in sincerity want to know the answer, ask. The New Testament tells us if you ask God for, for bread, He won't give you a stone. I mean, he, he, you know, he's not going to give you a, a snake. Uh, he, he, he's going to give you what you ask for if you ask with the right proper attitude. Wanting and desiring to know His will. These people wanted to know God's will. They wanted to know, so they asked the Lord. Who, who shall be the first to go up against the Canaanites? Which tribe, which group of people are, are, are going to go before us? And notice, as God will always do, He answered. And the Lord said, verse 2, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I've delivered the land into His hand. Again, they should have been reminded, it's a done deal. The land's going to be delivered into Judah's hand. The Lord answered. If you ask, the Lord will answer. Now, will the Lord answer the way you want? No. Not always. Sometimes He does. That's great. But oftentimes God answers in a way you never, you never thought He would answer. It's not always according to how you would desire, but according to His will. Notice what happens, verse 3. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with him. Now, time out. Judah. The Lord has said He's given the land to you. You're the one that's supposed to go up first, fight all these, these wild cats. Alright? Judah says to Simeon, Hey, hey, got an idea. If you'll come with me, I'll go with you. Now, why did he do that? Well, part of the territory that had been promised... By the way, when they came over, remember? They came over unified, the people. Very important, very important. They came over unified. Now, they're dispersing into the land and they're being allotted certain territories. Okay? Twelve tribes of Judah. I mean, uh, the the twelve tribes, you've got uh, Judah, a whole slew of them. You've got twelve of them, right? Go through them this morning. But here's the point. They, instead of having the divided, they, they, instead of staying unified, they go to the divided lots. But Judah has Simeon 
his, his tribe, his group, his people, his peoples that are represented, his peeps, he says, won't you help me fight? Now, who is Simeon? Let's go back to, to Genesis and think about this. If you want to know the story of Simeon, Genesis 34. Now, what happens in Genesis 34? Well, you've got Jacob and his sons. They're settled in the land near Shechem. I like saying that name, Shechem. Hey, if you don't think the pastor's preaching truth, just Shechem in the Bible. So they're there in Shechem, verse chapter 34. Now notice what happens. Dinah, the daughter, the one daughter, she's, uh, she notices the, the ladies of the community, the girls of the neighborhood, the girls of the world, the ones that are having all the fun. Girls just want to have fun. So she decides she's going to venture over there to their little neighborhood, play a little hopscotch with them, I guess. Well, she gets out there, and guess what ends up happening to Dinah? Well, along comes the prince of the land, Mr. Smooth Tucker. Mr. He gets his way on anything because his daddy is the mayor of the town, if you will. And he sees her, and he takes her, and he rapes her. But the Bible says that after this, he loves her. He, he's in love with this girl. Funny way of showing love. But, you know, there's, a, there's something there because the unsaved man, the lost man of the world, he doesn't understand true love. And so here's an example of that. This guy rapes this girl. And yet he loves her, so he wants to take her as his wife now. So now he wants to take him and his his rich daddy and his, uh, his, his dad of, of, of clout with him, and they go to Jacob. Well, meanwhile, word has gotten back what's happened to Dinah. And Simeon and Levi, her brothers, her two, two of her brothers, are livid of what's been done to their sister. They are mad as fire. And now this guy and his daddy's coming to our house? Well, they come in. Jacob's there talking to them. Hey, sons, come on in. Listen to this conversation. This guy wants to take your sister as his wife. What do you say? First off, Jacob's shirking his responsibility. He should have been the one. He's the dad. Okay? Uh, one, com- one uh, I think it was J. Vernon McGee, said he would have greeted them down the uh, roadway with a shotgun. But anyways, he- so, so here's what happens. Simeon and Levi take lead instead of Jacob, and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, well, okay. The, the dad says, well, listen, my son loves, you, loves uh, Dinah and wants to marry her, and, and so w- what can we do? We want to work it out so that your people and our people can mingle, we can have business together, we can, you know, we can just all get along here and, and, and there's no need for us to be separate. What can we do to come together? By the way, this is a paraphrase. This is KJV. Uh, King Jeremy Varner. Just kidding. Um, it's a paraphrase. But read it. It's in your scriptures. Read it, read it, read it. And here's what happens. Ends up, they say, well, tell you what we could do. You see, our religious beliefs would keep us from intermarrying with your people. This is Simeon and Levi. 
So Simeon and Levi say, tell you what, if you guys, if all your men will get circumcised, we'll let you, we'll let you marry our women, we marry your women. How about that? Well, this guy's excited because he said, look, I'll do anything to marry Dinah. Whatever, you name it, I'll do it. We want you to get circumcised. <gasps> okay, I'll do it. So guess what? They do it. And in fact, not only do they do it, but this guy goes back to the community and he says, all right, listen up, all the men of our community, all the men of Shechem, I need your attention. Jacob and his family, they want to they start doing business with us. Listen, they're going to let us marry their folks. We're gonna, they're going to marry our folks. But, but there's only one thing they ask of us, and that is that all the men, we get circumcised. It's part of their religious thing, so we don't want to offend them, so let's all get circumcised. We can be one happy family. Now, because he's a man of honor, he's a man of reputation, they look to him as a leader, they do what he says. The Bible says that on the third day, when it's the sorest, all these men are laid up in the bed in bandages and are sore from their surgery. Simeon and Levi come into the town and kill every one of them with the sword. They slayed them because of what they did to their sister. Now Jacob is all livid. What have you done? Why did you do this? Now every person in the land around us is going to seek to kill us. Again, big picture of what happens when the family of God gets away from the God of the family. Some great lessons in 34 and 35. If you ever get a chance to spend some time in that, I encourage you to read it. That's Simeon. And later, Jacob basically pronounces a curse on his deathbed to them. Everybody else is going to get kind of an inheritance, but Simeon's not really exactly one of those ones that's looked upon too favorably because of that. Now, Levi ends up, as you know, he ended up becoming, he didn't get a territory per se as the others did, but he does become the priestly line. And so you do see the grace of God upon him in that sense. But that's Simeon. So the tribe of Judah is asking the tribe of Simeon to help him fight. I think that might have been mistake number one. Judah, the Lord said the land is yours. Now, notice though, we see victory at first. We see victory. We see success. Notice um, in in, in verse 4. Then Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they killed men. Uh, they, they killed 10,000 men at Bezek. And they found Adoni Bezek in Bezek, five, and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Now this guy, Adoni Bezek, by the way, that first name sounded a little familiar. I think I mispronounced it even when I read through it the first time. Adonai? Lord. In fact, his name translates to Lord of Lightning. Well, the Lord of Lightning is getting ready to make a thunder and head on out of town. Notice what happens. It says, verse 4, Then Judah went up, the Lord delivered the Canaanites, the Perizzites into the hand. They killed 10,000 men at Bezek, and they found Adoni Bezek in Bezek and fought against him. And they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Verse 6, Then Adoni Bezek fled, and they pursued him and caught him 
And did they utterly destroy him? Now, what did they choose to do instead? Instead, they cut off his thumbs and big toes. Ew. I wonder how he got back home. I wonder if they had to call a tow truck. <laughs> Just That's all. I told you, this is going to be bad this morning. Hey, do me a favor. Try this. If you've got a pen, who has a pen or a pencil or one near you? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Come on, let's see it. Let's see. All right, here's what I want you to do. Put the pencil down beside you. Don't use your thumb. Pick it up. Don't use your thumb. You can't use your thumb. Just try it. I know you want to. Some of you teens back there go, okay, I wasn't paying attention, but I want to now. <laughs> try it. Try it. See, can you get it? Anybody get it? Raise it if you get it. Okay, couple. Was it easy? No. Somebody say, yeah. It's always a smart, smart one or two in every crowd, isn't there? Well, all right, well, then if you're such a tough guy or girl, try that all the rest of the day. Everything you do, don't use your thumbs. Okay? Just use the rest of your fingers then, Mrs. Mr. Know-it-all. Try it. Listen, Adoni Bazek, he's done. Ain't no more sword fighting for him. i got to believe this is a man of battle. How do I know that? Well, notice what the Scriptures say. Verse 7, And Adoni Bezek said, Seventy kings. He's been in a lot of fights. Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. Even this pagan, this unbeliever, understood... Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. He understood, and listen, you know, it's funny how biblical principles, things that are rooted in God's truth, the world will take it and change it. What's the thing today the world uses? That's what? Starts with a C, that's karma. No, it's not karma. Let me tell you what it is. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. There's other biblical principles that will illustrate the truth. But I'm wondering if Judah and Simeon, first off, I'm wondering if Judah should have even asked Simeon. But then I'm wondering also, shouldn't they have just obeyed the voice of God and just destroyed the people? They didn't destroy him. Now, maybe they're thinking sort of the, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, a thumb for a thumb, and a toe for a toe. Maybe so. Bottom line is, they did what they did, but they didn't kill him. It says, then they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. What you're going to find in the passages unfolding is a digression with God's people. They start off in success. They'll move into settling or compromising with the inhabitants of the land. Instead of doing what God said, they will settle down with them. And eventually you'll see in the case of Dan, where he's completely defeated, he surrenders to the enemy. This is what's going to unfold for us in the days ahead as we continue through this text. 
So I'll leave us with this thought this morning as we stop on point one, success. God's people had the promise of God. But instead of believing it, by their actions, they rejected it. Church, I wonder where we are in the fight. Our battle's not flesh and blood. Listen, we're not, we're, we're not like some groups that, you know, they think the battle's flesh and blood. Our battle's not flesh and blood. It's principalities, it's powers, it's wickedness on high. There's a real enemy. There's a real enemy. He's after your soul. Because if he can get you to believe the lies of the land, then when that day comes for retribution, when that day comes and we get what we deserve, we would stand before a holy God in our sin. We would stand before a holy, just, loving, merciful God having rejected His truth. And by that, we stand guilty. And so if we get what we deserved in that day, the only thing God can give us being just is payment. And the wages of sin is death. Can I tell you this morning, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Will you believe the truth of God's Word? Will you stand in success and believe the claims, the Word of truth as Jesus spoke it? He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And if you have never responded to His message, His invitation, we'd like to give you that opportunity this morning.